Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. We will be covering three issues in this program, the aftermath of the decision against Coles' agreement with SDA, the retail union, which put thousands of Coles workers out of pocket and a conditions deficit. The issue of unemployment and the new start payment, that is now 40.2% of the national minimum wage. And finally, the stigma attached to being an older worker in a population which is growing older. Oh, I'm feeling pretty positive about the case. Um, I think that, yeah, we didn't see anything new from Coles. Um, they basically are trying to obscure all the issues and make it, you know, make out that the non-financial benefits, which are minor, minor entitlements around leave, actually make up for the lack of penalty rates and that they, you know, mean that some people earning a third less than their actual take-home pay um, is justifiable. But I feel like, uh, yeah, if it was a strong case that was made today by our side... And, yeah, unfortunately, now I've just got to pay a bit of wait for a couple of weeks to see what the result will be, but I'm feeling pretty confident. That's the voice of Duncan Hart, a Queensland trolley collector, after the final hearing of the Fair Work Commission into an agreement negotiated by Coles with SDA. His team argued that the agreement put thousands of workers out of pocket, in fact, axing penalties and conditions by stealth. Now we know that the Fair Work Commission agreed with Hart and his team, But what has happened since that announcement? I spoke to Josh Cullinan, part of Duncan Hart's team, for an update. So the decision handed down on um, the 31st of May decided that the agreement didn't pass the better off overall test. Coles were given the opportunity by the Fair Work Commission to make an undertaking that they would pay all their workers that were worse off. So all of those that work at times which they would ordinarily get penalty rates or when they would be paid for their over time at the proper um, award rates and a range of other things, they gave them the opportunity to make an undertaking to do that, those payments, to do a reconciliation every fortnight. Coles uh, considered that and decided to not make that undertaking and instead uh, allowed the agreement to be quashed, the agreement approval decision to be quashed, which will effectively void the 2014 Coles agreement, which came in in uh, July 2015. Okay, and so uh, that means that uh, any uh, advance that some of the other workers have made will be taken away as well? Yeah, so there's a few um, conditions which improve between the two agreements, most notably some small wage increases. The old agreement is, is still just as bad in relation to the way it treats casuals and junior staff and doesn't have real penalty rates or overtime rates at the proper rates. Uh, the new agreement that has been quashed had a, a few small wage increases from 2014 and 2015 that are no longer in effect. And so the base rate of pay under the agreement will revert back to the 2011 agreement. Now, Coles has agreed to continue making payments at the 2016 rate. Unfortunately, none of those wage increases will be enforceable. So if someone's trying to enforce a wage or uh, an underpayment, they won't be able to do that because it'll still 
be uh, under the old 2011 agreement. What about the meat workers? Because they were in particularly being undermined in the new agreement that was made because it was an SDA agreement which sidelined any agreements that they had made or even the Transport uh, Workers Union. Yes, yeah, so, so there's a couple of groups. The first group is those meat workers are um, already already and almost instantly many, many hundreds of meat workers are better off at uh, coal store. So after July the 5th, when the agreement is quashed, uh, the, the wage rate that a number of meat packers that have been employed since July last year will, um, will go up. There's this other group that, uh, that are covered by, that were covered by this new agreement, which are effectively the delivery drivers. You'd see the trucks around, small trucks driven by coal's drivers. Yes. Um, now, the TW, TWU covers those workers, and what we've seen there is that they'll be entitled to the award penalty rates. There'll be a very small group of people that are entitled to them, but they certainly are, and we will see substantial wage um, outcomes for a number of those delivery drivers who we've spoken to who work weekends and nights. They'll um, be entitled to be paid the penalty rates that they haven't been getting for the last year, so that's a big win for them too. So let's go go over that. Uh, the SDA, the retail union, effectively were able to make a deal with Coles, which meant that other unions were completely sidelined. Has this um, uh, thing where uh, the Fair Work Commission has said that they haven't uh, uh, passed the boot test stopped that ability of, of SDA making decisions and getting rid of other unions' voices in these kind of discussions? Well, um, in terms of this agreement, uh, the SDA did strike an agreement with Coles. It was then put to workers to vote on, um, and the SDA and Coles effectively managed all of those discussions with workers, uh, which ended up with many workers voting for it, not understanding, as we now know, they were never told that uh, many thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, would be worse off. Now... Um, the decision has a profound impact on the way that um, employers will now be able to negotiate with the SDA because they can still go through those steps and they can still try and reach an agreement and uh, put it to staff to vote on. But they must now be aware that every commissioner that gets, a that gets an agreement that's been made between a major retailer or fast food outlet um, for approval will have to have a new level of scrutiny or they will face appeals and other actions to overturn dodgy outcomes. Um, so it will now be much, much harder for um, the SDA to negotiate these cut price deals. Um, and I would hope that many of the progressive unions, like the Meat Workers Union, uh, will, will gain some um, strength from the decision and know that if it is tried on, um, that they can, they can do certain things and take action to stop, it being, stop them being undermined. It seems amazing that uh, members of a, of a union that can be caught up like this, you know, one union can make these deals, but people who aren't represented by them have to fall into line with them. Well, you know, going back some time, award or sector-wide bargaining involved many unions across entire sectors. Enterprise bargaining, different times has various unions involved. I think the real shame in this is that the SDA couldn't honour the request and the efforts of the Meat Workers Union to ensure that their members got a deal which was appropriate for them. I think progressive unions should be working together to get a better outcome rather than um, doing a deal which will specifically undermine the workplace rights of another group of workers which they don't represent. 
That said, there are many, many agreements like McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, uh, many other agreements where the only union is SDA um, and there is no other voice in those circumstances. And that's interesting because I've been asking different people about why can't there be another union that started up that represents those people. And they were saying that uh, one of the things, the stumbling blocks for that is that uh, they won't become authorised unions. What Can you explain that to us? Sure. So, so there's a process for a union to become registered under the Fair Work Act. Effectively, there's a legislation which requires an application by a group of workers to have it. They have to have rules and they have to have uh, arrangements in place and elected officers and they have to have a, a minimum number of members, they can then apply to the Fair Work Commission for registration. Registration bestows upon a union a range of rights. At the end of the day, though, the Fair Work Commission is unlikely to register a new union in circumstances where there is a large, well-resourced, uh, well-known organisation of employees already in place. And so I would expect it would be very difficult for another organisation of employees to gain such a registration without being of a very significant scale already. It would mean that all the members of the SDA would have to become unmembered and uh, leave that union into disrepair uh, before another union could be rise from the ashes. Well, uh, maybe. I, th I think there's a couple of elements to that. One is, I think for very, very many members of the SDA, that, that organisation of employees is already in a state of disrepair. Uh, it may very well be one of the largest well-resourced organisations of employees in the country, but um, the outcomes it's delivering members, uh, well, they're below the minimum that they would have if there was no agreement. So um, yeah, it, it already true. is in a, in a pretty parlous state in terms of the viewpoint of, you know, your night fill worker working at Woolworths or your um, person um, making the chips in a McDonald's store. So I hesitate to say because I, I just there are very few cases like this brought to the Fair Work Commission. But I would expect that the SDA and the ACTU would be very, very loud voices opposing any such application. That said, it's a little bit like the right to strike. The right to strike has, uh, was uh, well established well before there was legislation about it. And in many ways, the legislation has limited and inhibited the capacity of workers to take strike action. Here, we've got a situation where workers might need to make some choices about how they represent themselves what the best structures are for that and whether the registration of a union is really what is needed for them to be able to secure the best outcome. Oh, so um, they could actually do stuff within their own union? We've got a young worker right now at Woolworths who represents 50 Woolworths workers. He's an SDA delegate, um, but he's not doing it as part of the SDA. He's representing those workers in bargaining, um, demanding proper outcomes, de demanding fairer wage and penalty rates and other things. He's doing all of that um, with rights under the Fair Work Act and it may be that more people like him need to stand up and start taking a more direct role in the representation and agitation of full work. Now let's go back to Coles workers. I know that they're now back to the 2011 uh, agreement. Will they need to renegotiate uh, an EBA or what's, what's, what will happen? Well, I think there's been a few um, commentators including the SDA calling for the renegotiation, in my mind, it's very clear. If, if Coles wanted to pay penalty rates, they would have accepted the undertaking. That's right. They, they've got absolutely no interest in paying penalty rates, and so it'll be a matter, just like it has been for workers over hundreds of years, of forcing them to. Now, how that will occur for some workers is to seek the termination of the 2011 agreement. And there's already been an application made by a Nightfield worker in Queensland. Um, she applied for the termination of that 
2011 agreement. And it's pretty straightforward for her. She, if that's terminated, she gets the penalty rates working at night and her wage goes, goes up. Well, that's so it right. makes good sense um, for her. That said, that, that is a massive case. Um, the termination of agreement cases run by workers, or I, don't, I don't know if there's been ever a case, certainly not on this scale, where 70, 70-something thousand workers would be impacted. And I expect Coles and the SDA will spend millions of dollars in lawyers, just like they did against Duncan and the Meatworkers Union. Um, to stop the agreement being terminated. So that's probably the next next phase of this action is that process of a termination. I think Coles is looking for an excuse to cut the wage rates and would, if the agreement was terminated, would blame um, that young worker or, or other workers who participate in termination proceedings. That said, at the moment, the wages that are continuing to be paid at Coles are purely on the grace of Coles. They're unenforceable rates above the 2011 agreement and the 2011 agreement base rate of pay is now going to only be very, very little above the award rate of pay. So in terms of enforceable workplace rights, there really is no choice now except for uh, workers securing the award rights. Yeah, so we're living in extraordinary times, aren't we? Uh, we are, we are, you know, and I think that there, there are many, many major employers across retail and fast food who are w- watching very closely um, and probably with a good deal of concern, as they should be. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Yeah, I don't think the government realises the effect of of this sort of policy. I mean, they're playing with people's lives here. It, it like they they use unemployment unemployed people as a tool to drive down wages and conditions to benefit business in the long run. But I don't think they realise that the effect they have, that they're not, it, it, they can't just approach unemployed workers as tools for that economic motive, that economic outcome. They're people and their lives are at stake. Owen Bennett from the Unemployed Workers Union reminding us that unemployed people could be anyone in our society. In the last federal budget, it was announced that new recipients of New Start will be paid $5 less than the present $263.80 a week for a single. Stick Together spoke to John Felzon, CEO of St Vincent de Paul, as they see an increase in people using their services. In real terms, Australia has not seen an increase to the New Start allowance since 1994. This is a national disgrace. Uh, we can read this as, as nothing else but a deliberate attempt to humiliate and punish people for being left out of the labour market. Uh, and the simple reality is you don't help people into a job by forcing them to live below the poverty line. And the current New Start allowance leaves you struggling to uh, to wage a, a daily battle for survival from below the poverty line. How can you possibly how can you possibly um, prepare yourself to uh, to look for a job when you're busy struggling to make ends meet, to survive, to keep a roof over your head, to pay the electricity, and to put food on the table? One of the government's policies uh, that was supposed to engender the idea that people have been lazily sitting on benefits 
was to put single parents on to Newstart, to take it away from the parenting pension to Newstart. Has that had any positive effect? Look, this was a cruel and vicious move uh, to, 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 uh, to actually consider that uh, we, we reduce our deficit uh, by taking a stick to the backs of, of uh, single mothers and their children uh, was, was just absolutely unconscionable. The reality was that uh, a large percentage of, uh, of, of uh, sole parents were already engaged in uh, part-time work uh, or looking for work uh, and, you know, forcing people to uh, live in poverty does not work as a, a means of helping people into a job. If you want to help people into a job, first of all, you need to create jobs because uh, in many areas they're simply not there. Uh, secondly, you need to make sure that the jobs are family-friendly, particularly when it comes to parents who, are, who have full-time caring responsibilities. Thirdly, uh, you need to make sure people have access to education and training. Uh, you don't rip the guts out of TAFE. You don't make it even more unaffordable to go to university. And you don't back away from supporting public education through the, through the, the, the very useful Godsky reforms, uh, which sadly the government has backed away from. Uh, so, you know, you, you don't fix unemployment, which is a structural problem, by uh, pretending that it's a matter of behaviour and choice and blaming people and punishing them. It just doesn't work. Have you had an increase in your services, uh, the reliance on your services, uh, because of these policies? Um, absolutely. When, um, when income support goes down, the buck has to stop somewhere. So... Uh, you know, if you can't, uh, on the income support you're receiving, if you can't pay the rent, put food on the table and pay the electricity, uh, the money's got to come from somewhere. So, uh, you know, you either um, get support from extended family members or friends or neighbours uh, or you, uh, you come uh, and request charitable assistance from an organisation like Vinnie's or the many other wonderful organisations out there. Uh, and we'll, we will be there for people and we will do whatever we can to support them. But, but the fact of the matter is people don't want to have to rely on charity. They want to be able to count on justice. They want to be able to expect a fair go uh, from society at large. And that's why we have a taxation system uh, so that we can uh, make sure that those who can afford to contribute, contribute um, appropriately, and those who need assistance are able to get it. Um, that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's, uh, that's fairness. That's justice. Now, there's the next uh, proposal from the federal government, which came around about the same time as the federal budget, was the idea that uh, uh, they proposed a thing called the PATH program, which appears to have uh, an effect on undermining the minimum wage and penalty rates, which must must affect uh, low-paid workers unreasonably. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a, it's a strange way of, of addressing youth unemployment. Youth unemployment is indeed a very serious problem in Australia today. Um, but to suggest that you fix it by taking away jobs that are actually there for young people and turning them into 
this scheme which allows employers to bar- bypass the minimum wage and penalty rates is, is just uh, absolutely absurd. Um, you know, I, I can't think of any way but to describe this as industrial relations policy dressed up as social policy because it doesn't address youth unemployment. It simply is a, a bonus for business. Uh, and uh, it's a very sad day when we use young people and exploit them further as a means of boosting, um, boosting profits for businesses. The government's policies seem to be increasing marginalisation and inequality. What, what's the effect in terms of a, a strong community when a government does this sort of thing? Everyone, everyone suffers in the end. Um, the, the more inequality is increased, ramped up instead of reduced, we suffer as a nation. Um, it's bad for the economy. Uh, even the OECD tells us that you don't improve uh, and strengthen an economy by ramping up inequality. It's bad for people's sense of being uh, you know, in society together, uh, of social uh, unity and cohesion. It's bad for people's morale. And then there are a whole heap of, um, of bad effects in the areas of health outcomes, mental health outcomes, uh, incarceration rates, uh, the need uh, for people to access social services, uh, all sorts of very, very negative outcomes the more we allow inequality to grow. So, you know, by allowing a very small group to be enriched and not pay their fair share, um, we're, uh, we're, we're damaging a whole nation. We're, we're breaking a nation's heart. Tune in to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio program dedicated to industrial relations and workplace justice on the Community Radio Network. My dictionary defines unemployment as being voluntarily out of work. Voluntarily out of work. The people that WOW helps are over 50, they're unemployed or they're underemployed and they want full-time employment. They want to work. Marilyn King from Willing Older Workers at a Fair Go for Pensioners rally in February. According to the latest ABS figures, which were in 2003, there were 3.3 million Australians aged between 45 and 64 in the labour force. 41,600 of these people wanted work and were available for work, but were discouraged because they felt they were considered too old by employers. This was considerably higher than the 23,200 in the 25 to 44 age range in the same boat. Stick Together spoke to Christine Gatt from Workers' Compensation Solutions for an industry take on employing older Australians. Um, My Master of Ageing at the moment and I do a lot of work with employers um, in Australia. Look, um, you'll get varying responses from employers. I deal mainly with the the larger employers in Australia. But some of the business risks that they're concerned about at the moment are things like increased injury rates amongst their older cohorts. Um, they're concerned about potential pressures on their workers' compensation costs 
and um, they're also concerned about lower productivity and, and I suppose in some instances disengagement. But their concerns are often uh, not validated by the reality of the um, older people in the workforce and we often do quite a bit of analytics to prove to them that, you know, the issue is often not the individual themselves or the groups of individual, but it's about the work that they're doing day in, day out and the lack of movement, I suppose, of um, employers themselves to actually move with the times and actually realise that their, their workforce is ageing and they need to accommodate that. And there are absolutely fantastic examples of employers out there that are really doing a good job in um, taking note and making the whole work environment a better place to be for people who are, you know, over the age of 55. So what would that entail? Well, I'll give a classic example of a particular um, car manufacturer which is being replicated in other industries here where they actually went to the workforce themselves and they asked them, you know, what would make their day easier? What would make work more pleasant? And how could they improve the quality of what they were doing? And um, as a result of actually having a conversation with their employees, they made some fairly minor adjustments to um, the work environment. They actually put better matting on the floor. They changed the temperature of the work environment. Um, they gave them uh, better visual acuity by introducing magnification into the workplace. And, you know, the people out there on the work floor found that it was just so much more beneficial. It was such a good result that they've actually now decided to roll out the, ch the changes that they made across their whole um, factory floor. And um, that's the sort of thing that can happen um, here in Victoria in particular when I talk to people. The biggest issue for you know, people who are well into their 60s who are still working is that they want a bit more flexibility and so uh, there are many instances where employers are introducing um, different staggered start times into the working day, um, just changing it up so that people don't have to be, you know, travelling at the most intense time on public transport. Particularly amongst some of the, the larger manufacturers, you know, they'll, they'll start getting worried that they've got all these older people on the production line but the reality is, you know, people who are more mature often really know what they're doing and they've been around long enough to make their own life a little bit safer. And often, you know, when we look at the statistics for workers' compensation, etc., it's not quite as, um, as scary as what some people will lead us all to believe. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Duncan Hart, Josh Cullinan, Owen Bennett, John Falzen, Marilyn King and Kirsten Gatt for talking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. 
My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.